0: Okay, so today we'll continue with uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Uh, So Paul is continuing his writing to uh, Timothy and he continues to share some practical things uh, to Timothy uh, so we can learn some practical things that we can apply even in our life. So we'll go through verses 1 through 12, uh, where he talks about slaves uh, in 1 and 2 uh, in a church setting. Uh, Then he speaks about true and false teachings in verses 3 to 5. Then he talks about the illusion of money and not being finding contentment uh, in life. Then verses 11 and 12 uh, speaks about what we should flee and what we should follow or what we should leave and what we should uh, pursue. So we'll start with verses uh, 1 and 2 uh, where he talks about slaves. Okay, so here it talks about the responsibility of slaves. Uh, both uh, in a general sense, but also uh, specifically within the context uh, of a local church. So we know that both uh, in the Old Testament, we see that slavery was practiced. uh, But just because uh, it is mentioned in the Bible does not mean that Bible supports or recommends uh, slavery. Uh, In the New Testament, uh, during those times, uh, slavery was common uh, in the Roman Empire. And in the Old Testament, uh, even as we read uh, in the book of Deuteronomy, uh, slavery was often performed uh, in exchange uh, of debt repayment, where if someone was not willing to, was not able to repay the debt, they would go into uh, slavery for a certain number of years, or it could be slaves uh, that came about uh, due to conflicts or due to war. But even though slavery is mentioned, does not mean that the Bible supports or condones slavery. And here the focus is more on the duty of slaves or or servants. And essentially it says that slaves uh, must honor their masters and do their work, uh, even if the master uh, is a believer and he's part of the local church. So it's possible that uh, the slave and the master are going to the same church and they're coming back home. And if that is the case, uh, they might have enjoyed fellowship uh, in the church setting, but once they come back, uh, the slave is still a slave, uh, so they they must continue to honor uh, their masters uh, and do the work. So we see that uh, within a church setting, uh, obviously there is uh, equality in the church. So even though they might be slaves at home, uh, once they enter the church setting or once they... Are in a local church setting, uh, there is no hierarchy because uh, everyone is equal uh, within the local church, uh, even though they may have different roles uh, according to God's uh, divine order, but everyone is equal. So it raises an interesting uh, question where uh, it's possible that the slave uh, might be an elder in the church, or the slave might be enjoying leadership position, while the master may not have a leadership role. And if that is the case, uh, within the church setting, uh, the master will have to submit to the slave uh, in the church setting. And when they go back home, uh, the roles would be reversed where they take on the secular roles where the master would be the Lord and the slave would be serving the master. And in Colossians that we did, uh, we were exhorted that we should do our work uh, heartily as unto the Lord. It says, uh, Servants, obey in all things, your masters according to the flesh, uh, not with eye service as men pleases, but in singleness of heart, uh, fearing God. And whatsoever we do, do it heartily uh, as to the Lord. So when we are working, uh, we are not working to please uh, people. Uh, we should do it as we are doing it to the Lord and we should do it with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And we should have good uh, work ethics, uh, regardless of uh, how our boss is, and regardless of the work environment. uh, It should not really impact the quality of our work, or the attitude that we bring to work. Uh, We should still be doing our best, uh, because we are doing it uh, to the Lord, and He is the one who is seeing, and he is the one who is going to reward us. And in verses uh, 3 to 5, we read about uh, true and false teachings. So we can see how can false teachers be identified, and what is the fruit of true and false teaching, and why is the world attracted uh, to false teachings. Okay, so uh, this passage is anchored in if any man teach otherwise, which would be false teaching. And the passage ends with what we should do. We should simply withdraw ourselves. And that should be uh, the uh, action that we take. So true teaching would be the words of Lord Jesus Christ. And true teaching, they would be wholesome words. And as we've been reading, uh, true teachings would be the sound doctrine. And if someone is teaching the truth, uh, it would lead to uh, salvation. Uh, it would lead to godlike character. Uh, It would lead to purity. It would lead to love. And true teaching is also profitable, as we read in 2 Timothy uh, 3.16. But true teaching is not really uh, appreciated in the world. Uh, Oftentimes, uh, it is rejected because if you want to follow the true teaching, then you need to make changes uh, to your life. And oftentimes, uh, people don't want to make changes uh, to their sinful lifestyle or they want to they don't want to they want to continue in the ways of the world and they're not willing to walk on the narrow road so even though the true teaching uh, leads to life and it leads to something that is profitable but we see that the majority of people in the world uh, they want to live in darkness uh, they lo- want to live in sin so they continue to reject uh, the true teaching and the false teaching as we read here uh, it focuses on self Uh, which means uh, the teacher is trying to focus on self uh, rather than bringing glory to God, or they are focusing on impressing God or pleasing people uh, rather than obeying God. And the focus may be on uh, intellectual debates and questions rather than waiting on the Lord uh, for revelation or searching the scriptures uh, for the truth uh, that we find uh, in the scriptures. And false teachers, uh, no matter how intelligent they might be, uh, no matter how many debates uh, they may have, no matter how many questions and controversies they raise, uh, the Bible regards them as proud and ignorant. So knowledge uh, doesn't make us uh, intelligent in God's eyes, Uh, it is the revelation that we receive and the truth that we receive from the inspired Word of God uh, that makes us knowledgeable. And the fruit of false teaching is that it leads to envy, it leads to strife, uh, it leads to corruption, and it leads to a compromised uh, lifestyle. And that is why false teaching is popular because uh, it gives freedom to sin and it gives freedom to live a life that is a compromised uh, lifestyle. And we can see some examples. So it's not easy to identify false teachers. And oftentimes they would uh, They would align themselves uh, with uh, with dominant churches so that's why it makes it hard. But we see that the first uh, false teacher was Satan as we read in the book of Genesis and even today the false teachers uh, they are using the same strategy uh, that was used by Satan which is uh, deceiving Adam and Eve uh, to dilute the truth or to compromise the truth and to appeal uh, to the flesh. So that is what makes it hard, because when the truth is uh, presented uh, in a deceptive way, uh, we may or may not be able to recognize uh, what is the truth and what is uh, life. And when the truth is presented in a way that it uh, appeals uh, to the flesh, then oftentimes uh, we are more receptive uh, because that is what we want to hear. We want to hear someone say that the sin, sinful lifestyle that we are living Uh, It is okay, and it is allowed by the Lord. And we are warned in several places about false teaching, Uh, even in Matthew 7, which is the Sermon on the Mount. It says, "Uh, beware of false prophets who come to you uh, in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Uh, You will know them by their fruit. So here uh, it reminds us that externally, or what is visible to us uh, is a sheep's clothing, so that is what we see with our eyes, uh, they may be doing all the right things, but internally or what is invisible is that they, are, they have wrong motives or they are wolves. So since we cannot fully discern the unseen heart of others, uh, we should look at their fruits, uh, which might be more easily visible. So it says you will know them by their fruits. So there are many uh, common false teachings uh, that we see in the world today. Uh, They would tend to focus on one side of the scripture. Uh, They may focus on God's love and heaven, and they may not talk about God's justice, which often leads to hell. So they may deny the virgin birth, uh, the death on the cross, the resurrection, and the second coming. So essentially they are uh, denying the entire gospel truth And they may focus on other things, or they may say that you need faith plus works uh, to receive uh, salvation, or there are multiple ways to reach God. And oftentimes they would preach that since God forgives and God is merciful, God is compassionate, uh, it is okay to keep on sinning and ask for God's forgiveness or to confess your sins. And we often see this, that Bible is not the complete uh, revelation So we need to read more or we need to have additional insights uh, to learn the mind of God or to learn the ways of God or that salvation can be lost or prosperity gospel and much more. So these are some ways uh, in which we can identify uh, who a false teacher is uh, when they are teaching something that is not consistent uh, with the entirety of the word of God uh, when it is taken from Genesis to Revelation. And also in 2 Peter chapter 2, uh, there is a long section that again talks about uh, false teachers uh, in terms of how we can identify them or how we can uh, recognize them. So it speaks about they secretly infuse uh, false teachings uh, that destroy the people. And secondly, that they attract many and tarnish the testimony of the church. And they use uh, deceptive words Uh, They not only deceive themselves, but they also deceive others. Uh, They are full of adultery and covetousness, which is the love of money, and sin of Valam, which is leading others astray. And even though they may be doing uh, big things, or they might be having many ministries, uh, but Peter says uh, if they are false teachers, uh, they would be ineffective. Uh, They would be wells without water or clouds without rain. Uh, they would be speaking words uh, that appeal to the flesh uh, rather than spirit. Uh, They would preach uh, freedom or they would preach all the right things, but they themselves uh, might be slaves uh, to sin. So we see that there are many ways in which we can recognize the false teachers uh, by their character, by what they teach, uh, by their lifestyle and their actions. So verse five, which is where the Passage ended from verses 3 to 5. Uh, it simply says, uh, from such withdraw thyself. So once you recognize uh, that the person who who is speaking to you or the church uh, that you're attending, uh, they are preaching false doctrine, then you should simply run away. But it's quite possible that some believers, uh, they may be called to stay and challenge uh, the false teachers or to convert them to the truth And we know that Paul uh, did that. He challenged uh, people who are giving the wrong doctrine. But that is not a calling for everyone because uh, if we simply stay, uh, it is more than likely that uh, we will also go astray. Uh, We will also start living a life that is compromised or we would be living, uh, going away from the Lord. So for most people, uh, the suggestion is very straightforward. Uh, If we come across false teachers, then we should simply uh, run away. And that is what we should do uh, when we meet Jehovah's Witnesses and so on. There is no reason for us uh, to have a conversation uh, unless the Spirit is leading us uh, to have a conversation uh, which can lead to their salvation. Uh, Otherwise, uh, there is no point simply debating uh, for the sake of uh, debating. And the next section, uh, verses 6 to 10, uh, it speaks about the illusion of money and what are uh, some of the dangers uh, of a greedy heart, and what is uh, more profitable, and is it even possible to be content? Because we see that people are not content, uh, so is that even realistic to say that we can be content? Yeah, so this is a very uh, common passage that we often read uh, when it talks about uh, comparing the riches of the world with the riches that we can find in Christ, or why godliness uh, with contentment uh, is great gain. So being rich uh, by itself is not a sin. So we know that many God's children, uh, they are rich, and many God's children were wealthy, uh, even in the Old Testament. Uh, So when it speaks about David, in 1 Chronicle 29-28, it says that David died at a good old age, uh, full of days, uh, riches, and honor. And of course, David is not the only example. Uh, Abraham was also rich, and many other people were rich. So Paul is not talking about uh, riches, but he's speaking about the love of riches. Uh, even if you are poor, uh, you you could be, you could have a love for riches, or you could be greedy for riches, uh, which is a sin in the eyes of God. So false teachers uh, they would always uh, emphasize uh, material or temporal wealth, uh, whereas the true teachers of the word of God, uh, they will focus on the spiritual, uh, they will focus on the eternal riches. So that is why Paul says that godliness uh, plus contentment uh, is a great uh, blessing. So if you are able to achieve these two things, uh, if you are able to achieve a godly character, which you can achieve by meditating on the word of God and applying the word of God uh, to your life, and to your life decisions, uh, that would lead to godliness. And if you're content with whatever the Lord has given you, if you're content in all seasons of life, then that is a great blessing. And of course, uh, that is a great uh, accomplishment uh, to achieve these two, but if you are able to achieve these two, uh, it is a great uh, blessing and it is a great gain uh, compared to what we can achieve uh, in this world through material riches so contentment uh, we know uh, it is not easy and we we don't see it uh, in the world much uh, there are many there are very few people uh, who are truly content because very few people are able to achieve godliness and contentment at the same time so we find that in this world the poor want to be rich and the rich uh, want to be richer which means uh, neither the poor uh, nor the rich people, uh, they are content uh, in this world. But if you want to be content, then I feel that we need to focus on a few things and we need to prioritize uh, our life uh, decisions. So we need to focus on what we need and not on what we want. So there are a few things that are essential for life and there are other things that are luxuries or that are not really necessary. And if we keep our focus and what we truly need, then that will keep us uh, content. If we focus on just ourselves, uh, if we focus on what we need, uh, rather than trying to compare ourselves uh, with our friends or with our neighbors, uh, that will also keep us content. If we focus on pleasing God uh, rather than people, if we focus on pleasing God based on His uh, principles, Uh, that would lead to contentment. And if you focus on being thankful for what the Lord has uh, already given us, rather than complaining about what we don't have, uh, that will also keep us uh, in in contentment. And most importantly, we need to find our fullness and we need to find our completion in Christ. And if you're looking for fullness uh, in this world, or if you're looking for things in this world to make us complete, then we will be disappointed and we will always be we will never be content uh, because fullness and completion and satisfaction uh, can never be found uh, in this world so we need to focus on our eternal riches uh, rather than temporary riches that the world offers so paul reminds us that we brought nothing into this world and we will carry nothing out So all of us uh, know this truth. So no matter how rich uh, people might be, uh, all of them go to the same coffin, which could be six to seven feet uh, long. So everyone has the same ending, uh, no matter how rich or how poor they might be. But despite this knowledge, uh, we see that uh, many of us are busy uh, focusing on accumulating riches or accumulating wealth And oftentimes, we are trading uh, eternal riches for uh, temporal riches. So the choices uh, that we are making in this life, uh, oftentimes, they tend to focus on riches uh, that are temporary, uh, rather than focusing on riches that could lead to greater blessing or eternal blessings. So it reminds us of Esau, who sold his birthright uh, for a bowl of soup. So that's a decision that he made uh, in the time of need or in the time of temptation. And we are also guilty of doing the same uh, in the time of need. Uh, We also sacrifice something that is more precious uh, for something that is very temporary. Or it could be the story of the rich young man man, uh, who refused to part uh, with his earthly possessions. And at the end, uh, he went away sad rather than satisfied. see that the dangers uh, of a greedy heart And love for riches and firstly it breaks uh, the tenth commandment which is we should not covet and as paul reminds us uh, it is also the root of many evils and when we observe or what we see in the world uh, we see that money is truly the root of many evils Uh, when people are pursuing money uh, oftentimes uh, it leads to uh, corruption uh, it leads to jealousy uh, it leads to theft So if you don't have money, you will end up stealing money if that is what you're coveting. Uh, It may lead to murder for the sake of more. It could lead to uh, dishonesty uh, in our dealings. It could lead to selfishness. Uh, It could lead to workaholics because all of that is rooted in the same thing uh, because you're pursuing money, uh, which is the root of many evils. So if the root is uh, flawed or if the root is uh, defective, Uh, we see that the entire system or our entire life uh, would have some flaws, Uh, it would have some shortcomings, uh, which would never lead to satisfaction. So the ultimate fruit of a greedy heart uh, is that it leads to many regrets, Uh, it leads to many sorrows, Uh, it leads to much uh, stress, and oftentimes uh, we don't realize that. Uh, We don't realize until later Uh, because of the choices we make. And we don't get the sleep and the satisfaction that we hoped for. So that is why many people, uh, they might be on that path, but uh, it doesn't lead to riches or uh, satisfaction, but it leads to regrets. So in order to fix the problem, obviously we need to take care of the root, uh, which is the lust for money or the greed for money. And Verses 11 and 12, which is where we'll stop, uh, it reminds us of uh, things that we should flee and things that we should follow or pursue uh, in our life. Okay, so obviously here uh, Paul is writing to Timothy, so he addresses him as a man of God. So it will also apply to all of us who claim that we are believers or we are children of God. So we are given the same exhortation uh, that we should flee these things Uh, that we talked about. Instead, we should follow after certain things. So we need to flee false teachings uh, that we talked about in verse 6, and we should flee from uh, the greed uh, for more, or we should flee from the love of money that we were reminded in verse 10. And instead, uh, we should pursue or we should follow righteousness, uh, which is having the right uh, relationship with God, And having a right relationship with God would mean that any time there is any sin uh, in our life, uh, we should confess and set it right, and we should not uh, go back to it. So there should be a confession, and there should be a repentance, and there should be a commitment uh, to not to go back to the same sin so that we can enjoy the right relationship with God. And secondly, it talks about godliness, which is having a godlike character, or many of the virtues uh, that we are taught in the scriptures, uh, that is what would lead to a godly character, which we must pursue. And he's not talking about faith, because he's already addressing Timothy as a man of God, so he's not talking about faith, but more of the character uh, of faithfulness uh, that we should have. And he speaks about love, which is a pure love towards God and people, and have patience, and finally meekness or humility. And in verse 12, he tells Paul Timothy again that he must fight uh, for faith, and he must uh, defend the faith. And oftentimes, when we are taking a stand uh, for the faith, or when we are defending the faith, uh, it could be costly uh, for us, or it may lead to mockery, or it, it may lead to Uh, persecution, but the faith is worth uh, defending, so we should always uh, fight for our faith and defend it. And the gospel uh, and sound doctrine uh, is worth uh, defending, and that is why Paul is writing this letter uh, to Timothy that he should defend uh, the purity of the gospel and also the sound teachings so that the corruption uh, that is in the local church uh, can be cleaned And they could be taught the right things. So in 1 Timothy he speaks about fleeing certain things and following certain things and that is a theme uh, that we see uh, in many of Paul's writings uh, where he speaks about uh, staying away uh, from certain things and following certain things. And when we read uh, the book of Proverbs uh, it also reminds us along the same lines that there are certain things that we should stay away from and there are certain things that we should follow. So we'll just take a look at one of them that since we did it in the book of Colossians, so we can just uh, refresh our memories. So in book of uh, Colossians, uh, chapter three was eight and nine. uh, It speaks about putting off uh, certain things. Uh, It speaks about putting off anger and wrath and malice and slander, uh, filthy language and lies. And we see that all of these are uh, associated with The tongue or associated with the mouth. So, the Lord is always uh, conscious uh, that we need to put off certain things uh, when it comes to what is uh, coming out of our mouth. So, it is important that the mouth uh, that we use to worship the Lord uh, should also be kept pure, and we should try to put off all of these things, uh, which are a fruit uh, of a tongue, uh, not used uh, properly. And instead, uh, in verses 12 through 14, uh, he speaks about putting on certain things, uh, such as uh, compassion, uh, kindness, humility, gentleness, uh, patience, uh, forbearance, uh, forgiveness, and above all, love, uh, which is the foundation and which is the bond of perfection. So we often see many lists uh, like this in the scriptures, and oftentimes we simply read, and we continue to live our life the way we want to live. But if we truly want to pursue godliness, uh, which is the focus in chapter six, that godliness uh, with contentment uh, is great gain, then we should search the scriptures uh, to see uh, what attributes or what qualities or what type of life uh, will truly lead to godliness uh, in our life. So we'll close here today, uh, chapter six, one through 12. talked about uh, slaves and how that relationship should be played out at home. And if both the slave and master are going to the same church, then the relationship will change uh, within the church. But when they come back home, uh, the relationship continues. And we talked about different ways in which we can identify false teachings. And when we are confronted with false teachings, uh, the response uh, should be to run away. Uh, rather than trying to stand and debate or stand and fight the false teachings, uh, which is a calling not for everyone, uh, it is only for a few. And we talked about the illusions of money and the dangers uh, of a greedy heart, which will never lead to satisfaction, uh, which will never lead to true joy that the Lord has kept for us. And we ended with 11 and 12, which is what believers must flee, and what they must follow and what they must defend.